Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hello, and welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. It is my pleasure to be your host. And today I get to introduce you to someone I have been waiting to introduce you to for a long time. I've had this interview on the back burner for a few months, waiting for July, since July 25th is Parents' Day. So Ellie Sinazaro is a parent. She is also the author of a children's book called Image Bearer. You guys, I could not speak more highly of this book. I didn't have it when we recorded this interview, but I have since received it when it came out. And oh my goodness, if we could get this message into our kids' minds when they are young, I really believe it could change the world. It could change how we view ourselves maybe as teenagers and then as adults and beyond. And so... This book is about a biblical view of disability. And so it has pictures of real kids that the illustrations are based off of who have different limitations going on. So they might need a machine to help them move or breathe or different things. And the whole point is that regardless of what pain, illness, machines you need, you are made in the image of God. How beautiful is that? I think everyone needs this book, whether you are listening just for inspiration and you want to get it for your grandkids or your niece or your nephew or your adopted kids of your friends, whoever, maybe you have a chronic illness. Maybe you're a parent listening who has a child who deals with chronic pain or maybe is going through misdiagnoses and you don't know what's wrong. Anyone get this book, give it to a child in your life and then absorb the messages into your own heart. All that to say. I'm so excited for you to meet Ellie, and one little caveat before we start is that since we recorded the interview, there is a point where I ask Ellie about how we should approach people with disabilities, and at the time, she had had a lot of people come up to her and say, please approach us, please ask us questions, we want to educate you and your child, like we really appreciate you coming up and asking, and since the interview, she's had people say that actually we would prefer that you don't come up to us, I'm not comfortable talking about my disability, etc. And so she just wanted to make it really, uh, you guys aware that this is really complex. It's what happens when we talk about complex issues. And maybe she would have responded with a little bit more nuance. So when you hear that, just know that that's maybe not true for everyone, but just treat each person as an individual, just like you would if they have a condition that maybe you can't see. Just try to treat each person as an image bearer, and I think we'll be great. So here is an interview with Ellie Senazaro. All right. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to have you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk. 
Yeah, I just was, my husband's not working from home. He just started a new job where we're about to move. Uh, but he was like, who are you interviewing? And I told him like one sentence about your story. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I was like, I know. <laughs> so oh, that's awesome. we're excited. Where are you coming from? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, um, well, I'm Ellie. I live in St. Louis. I always have. I was born and raised here. And um, I live with my husband and my three kiddos, uh, Rosalie is four, Leonie is two, almost three, and then Finn is almost 18 months. So we have been just staying inside mostly over the past year with COVID and everything because Finn is high risk, but it's just been a lot of fun. Other than that, I have recently published a children's book and yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about. Yeah. When does it actually come out? What's the date? Um, well, we're actually shipping out the pre-orders next week, um, okay. which will be the last week of March. So they are arriving to people's homes in early April. And so from that point on, when you order, it'll just be shipped out to you right away. Awesome. Okay. Well, I pre-ordered, so I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to it. Yeah, I was talking to someone too, and they were like, I was telling them about this book, and they were like, can every church have that book, please? Oh, yeah, I would love that. That'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get it out. So I guess we'll jump into this. Maybe we'll go book and then what prompted the book. But what is the book about? Yeah, so the book is called Image Bearer, and it is designed to be a resource to families and churches to teach kids a biblical view of disability. So it starts with Genesis 1, because I felt like that was the most appropriate place to start was right at the beginning. So it Mm -hmm. talks about the story of creation and really focuses in on how God created man and woman in his image. And then from there, there's like a little kid who asked the question, you know, am I like them too? Am I made in God's image? And then the book goes through and explains how everyone is made in God's image and specifically focuses in on kids with disabilities and visible differences. And so you'll see a kid in a wheelchair and a child with Down syndrome and a child who is using oxygen or has a trach. So it shows all different types of kids and just reaffirms on every single page that they are made in God's image. And then at the end, it kind of is all tied together with just a little intro of the gospel and then lets you see the photos of the real kids who inspired all the illustrations in the book. So yeah, that's kind of like an overview of, of what it what it is. I love it so much. I think maybe if we got these kinds of things in kids' hands, they might know how to interact with kids their age who look differently than they do, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's like really one of my big goals is, you know, my son Finn, he has a G-tube, a feeding tube. And basically right before he was born was around the time that I realized that people could live outside of a hospital with a feeding tube. Like I just had no idea because I've never met anyone with a feeding tube. I just had never seen it in the media or read about them in a book. And so, you know, it was probably, I was in my mid twenties before I knew that people could live, live with feeding tubes. And so I just can only imagine for kids to you know, see Finn for the first time and see this tube on his stomach and wonder like, what in the world is that? That would totally like catch them off guard or scare them. But if they've read about G-tubes in a book and if they've seen kids with G-tubes in Mm -hmm. illustrations and pictures of them, then all of a sudden it's not scary because they have this like background where they've already been introduced to it in kind of a less threatening environment. So that's really my hope is that kids will read the book. They'll be able to see 
all different types of kids with different diagnoses and using different medical equipment. And then when they meet those kids on the playground, instead of feeling shy or uncomfortable or, or even scared like they sometimes feel, they'll actually feel equipped to go and initiate friendship. That's my, yeah. that's like my big hope. Yeah. So, oh, I also didn't tell you this, but there's a book called I'll Push You. So I interviewed these guys, Justin Skizik and Patrick Gray. Um, they went through this whole, did the whole Camino in Spain and he's in a wheelchair and Patrick pushed him. Um, but they've written a children's book with, wow, yes, a child in a wheelchair and one who's not, and they're very good friends. So just as a like, yeah, I need to check that one out. I've not read that one yet. Yes. So question when you go, I, I don't know if COVID has changed things so drastically, but have you been to the park or anything with Finn and other kids have tried to interact and been like, you know, because kids are really honest, right? They're like, we were talking about George's episode that you listened to, who has no arms, you know, and kids just come up to him and they're like, what happened? You know, have you had any of those experiences or maybe not because most of his life, which is crazy, right? If he's 18 months, has been COVID. Yeah. So I kind of have two answers to this. The The one answer is we haven't had really any kids come up and ask questions about him because, you know, when he's at the park, usually he's like his belly's covered so they can't see the tube. And I don't think that young kids really notice that he has Down syndrome, like some of the physical differences that you would typically see. Um, but I have had adults ask. And so the one that comes to mind is I was sitting in the doctor's office. We were, well, we were waiting, like in the waiting room. And this older woman, she's probably like in her 60s maybe, just looked at Finn and said, what's wrong with him? And she didn't mean it in a mean way. Like, I think she wanted to know like, what's his diagnosis. Yeah. But yeah, she, I mean, she, she just asked like, what's wrong with him? I was a little cough guard, but I'm like, Hey, this is an opportunity to, you know, educate and spread awareness. And so I explained yeah. to her that he had down syndrome and he uses a hearing aid. So we got to talk a little bit, but I, I found that even adults don't always really know what mm -hmm. differences he might have, or they can't tell, you know, that he's wearing a hearing aid. They just have questions. And so we try to be really open about whatever questions people have, but we did I just go to the playground this past weekend and while we were there we met a little girl who had down syndrome a little boy who had autism and another young girl with dwarfism and so i was just like wow. man i'm so grateful that my like rosalie especially my oldest daughter that she has already been introduced to all these differences because i remember before we started really talking about disabilities in our family, I would be so nervous in that situation where mm -hmm. there was someone with a really obvious difference because, you know, little kids, they just tell it how it is and they, um, they don't really have the same filter that adults do. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be worried, what is she going to say? Is she going to accidentally like offend someone with a comment or a question? But now um, we went to the park and she, she just went right up to the girl with Down syndrome and asked her to play and they were playing for a Aww. while. And I was like, man, I feel like that really is just a picture of what can happen when you're when you do take the time to introduce these differences at home and everything so, mm -hmm. so yeah we've had just a couple playground experiences but I'm hoping we'll have a lot more this summer yeah well and it makes me think a lot of this ministry is geared towards adults it's kind of everyone right but we were talking before we hit record about there there seems to be a whole in the church, capital C, like a lack of resources for people with differences. But I'm like, man, if we get more things like you, your book and your daughter, I'm like, could we, I mean, this is where it starts. Like, this is how the world changes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I, uh, we launched a, a special needs ministry at my church back at 
kind of the end of 2019. So it didn't stay open that long because then of course COVID hit, but, um, but you know, when we were preparing to launch this ministry, I just did a lot of research on the statistics and it was like, only 10% of churches roughly have some sort of disability ministry. And when you think about like a parent who has a child with a disability trying to visit a church, like they're not a member of a church, they're just thinking, hey, we think we want to go to church. You know, unless they see that there's going to be supports for their child or that the church is accessible or that there are sensory, you know, tools that their kid can can utilize or that there's like a buddy partner who could be with their child, like they're probably not going to give it a chance because, yeah. you know, they, they don't want to put the church on the spot and the church be unprepared. And so I just know there's so many families in our communities who want to be a part of a church, but maybe have tried and it hasn't mm-hmm. worked out because the support hasn't been there, or maybe they haven't even tried because they haven't seen a church who is specifically reaching out to families like theirs. And so I, I do, I really, really hope that, that there will be some big changes in the church. And there are some huge ministries like I think uh, immediately of Johnny and friends yeah. who yeah. who are who have been paving the way for this, and so I just hope it'll spread further. Yeah. Well, and the, th- the third thing you mentioned two possibilities, but the third is that they've gone to a church and they've been treated horribly. Yeah. And I've read so many so many stories like that. We yeah. actually did a survey. Um, I sent it to just families I knew who had kids with special needs, whether they went to church or they didn't, and then I posted on some Facebook groups of like support groups for special needs parents and just ask them about their experiences with church and the number of people who said like we were asked to leave church because my child was having outbursts or, you know, we visited 10 different churches and all of them said they couldn't support us. You know, it was just really sad. Like it was so Mm -hmm. sad to read. And so I can't even imagine, you know, to have that experience is, you know, it's got to totally turn you away from, from the church when you're just, it's supposed to be the place where you're able to be welcomed in, but instead you're, you're being asked, Hey, you can't come here anymore or sorry, you can't, you can't be here. So yeah, I I really do hope, I hope it's shifting. I think it is. Yeah. Well, I'm, his interview will be published much more before yours, but I'm interviewing Lamar Hardwick next week. who wrote a book called Disability in the Church. Yeah. And his stories about people aren't allowed to become pastors because they have a difference either. And he calls himself the autism pastor. And I, I don't know, I'm just talking to you and this is the theme. I'm like, God is like creating a movement right now. Like all these people, it is so, so exciting. How do you suggest, I mean, other than maybe the small thing of getting your book, reading it to your kids, what are some of those small things that parents can do to turn this tide with everyone that we see rising up? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, you can start with books at home. It's just the idea of like being proactive. Like you don't ever want your child to go into a situation and not be prepared and be totally cut off caught off guard. And that's what we do when we don't talk to our kids about differences and then we bring them into the world. Like if you go to the grocery mm-hmm. store, you're going to see someone at some point who has a very noticeable difference. Or if you go to the playground or someday your kids are going to be in school and there's going to be kids with differences. And if we don't prepare our kids for that, we're really setting them up for failure. They're not they're not going to know how to navigate those situations. And so I think you can start at home with 
children's books, I think is one of the best tools and not just my book, but I actually on my website have a list I've compiled of over 80 inclusive children's books and I've sorted it out. (laughs) Yeah. I, while I was waiting for my illustrations to be done, I was like, what can I do right now that would be like helpful to families who are trying Mm. to talk to their kids about stuff. And so I bought a bunch of inclusive books and checked a bunch out from the library and just kind of sorted through which ones do I think are the most helpful. And so I have a list Mm. sorted by like different topics like autism or cerebral palsy or, you know, all these different things. And so if parents want like a place where they can start, they can go there and, and check out that list. But you know, any books where you can be introducing your kids is going to be really helpful. It's a safe place to introduce those differences. It's really non-threatening because it's like, you know, a picture book and you can start to have some of those conversations when you're not put on the spot. I think another thing families can do is to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to them when they are out in public. So I know a lot of people, and I used to be this way, their tendency is to, if you see someone with like a really obvious difference, like out at the grocery store to kind of like go to the next aisle or just like Mm -hmm. shush your kids or like, just hope your kids don't notice and don't make a comment because you're just worried that, you know, it's going to be awkward. But instead I would encourage parents to actually point out differences to their kids. So, you know, as you're walking by, if you see someone in a wheelchair say, Oh, Hey honey, look, did you notice that she's in a wheelchair? And the kid will usually be like, yeah, that's so cool. You know? And, and then you can have a conversation and that way you're ahead of it. Instead of the kid being like, mom, why does she look like that? or mom, you know, like asking a question that then you feel like maybe would offend someone, you can be proactive and point out like, Hey, she's using a wheelchair. Did you notice that? And then you can have like a conversation with your kids and it's not like they asked a question that maybe would make someone feel uncomfortable. But if your kid does ask a question, I think take the time to answer it. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who are either parents of a child with a disability or who have a disability with themselves. And almost everyone says, please ask. We want your kids to know. We want your kids to grow up knowing about differences. So that way they're not scared. And so I think those are two things to do. The other thing is I think Instagram is such a good tool. So Mm -hmm. as we were waiting to, we're like preparing to adopt Finn, that's one of the things that we did is we followed a bunch of kids who had Down syndrome and I'd watch their stories with my daughter, Rosalie. And so we would just talk about like, hey, this is, you know, this is Rosie and Mm. and she has Down syndrome and your brother's going to have Down syndrome too. And um, Rosalie could ask questions and she could see kids. And what was great about that is she would just see kids who were different doing totally like normal things that you would expect, like Mm -hmm. eating lunch or playing with toys. And so it just, it just takes away that feeling of like, oh, they're different and that feels scary. It's like, oh, they're just a regular kid like me. They're playing and they're eating and, you know, they're watching TV. And so I think if you can follow accounts that show lots of different types of differences and, and let your kids watch their stories with you, that's a really easy way and a way that your kids will really enjoy to, to be exposed to lots of different types of people. So those are three ideas. You are so on top of it. I love it. Incredible. One thing that you said made me think, so you see someone in the store who's in a wheelchair, you start talking to your kids and say, Hey, do you see that? Most likely that person is going to hear you saying that. Right. And so then do you start a conversation with them? Because I could imagine that being a little awkward, right? Like, Hey, do you see that? And you're having maybe a positive conversation, But have you experienced that where you then talk to them or include them in that? Yeah. So 
unfortunately with COVID, I feel like we haven't really had the opportunity to like be in public and initiate conversations with people, Mm -hmm. but I have talked to a lot of parents and a lot of people who have disabilities to ask them this question because I just wanted to know like, what, what is the right way to go about this? And, um, there's another author, her name is Megan Desjarnet and she wrote a book called no such thing as normal. And she has used a wheelchair for most of her life. And so I asked her like, how do you want people to approach you when, you know, they have questions or their kids have questions. And she said like what she tells people is kind of like test the water. Like, don't just go up to them and be like, Hey, why do you use a wheelchair? But you Mm -hmm. could say like, hi, you know, I, I like your shirt or, you know, compliment them. And just like, you can just say something to kind of test the water to see if they're open to talking or if they're kind of in a hurry. Cause like if they're in a hurry, you don't want to put them, put them on the spot, but, um, you know, or if, if you're, um, asking a parent who has a child with a disability, be like, Oh, I love your unicorn shirt. You know, Rosalie loves unicorns too. And then kind of like ease in the conversation that way, if they seem open to it. And it it probably will feel awkward to be honest, just because Mm -hmm. we're not used to talking about differences, but like by and large, everyone I've talked to has said, if you ask in a nice way, you know, if you're being respectful and you're not being rude, like I was very caught off guard when that woman said, what's wrong with him? Because it felt like such like a, a not nice way to ask that question, Mm -hmm. but people can tell your heart, you know, when you're approaching them. So as long as you approach with a posture of like, I want to learn and I want my child to learn too. Mm-hmm. Most people are going to be really receptive to that. Yeah, that's so good. I hope maybe we can practice some more with things soon. Yes, I do too. I mean, at least where we are, it seems like the playgrounds are open again and, and being outside seems mostly safe. And so I think we're going to start having more of those opportunities. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, the, the internet has changed everything. You can sit there with hundreds of people at your disposal to help learn and teach differences. So, okay, let's get into why you are such an advocate and how this happened. Um, because you didn't grow up being exposed to a ton of differences, it sounds like, right? No, not at all. Okay, so you wanted to start your family. And what happened? Take us from there. Yeah. So, um, we decided we wanted to start our family. And so we found out we were pregnant and we're just super excited and really just didn't even like, honestly, the thought did not cross our mind that anything unexpected would happen. Like my husband, and I both come from big families and no one in our families has ever had any sort of like genetic condition or anything. And so like, it just was not even on our radar at all. And so our doctor said, Hey, you can get this new blood test. It's non-invasive and you can find out the gender early. We were like, yes, sign us up. Cause we wanted to know as soon as we could, like, were we having a boy or a girl? And we were just like, so, so excited. He also, the doctor also said like, it'll also test for, you know, such and such genetic conditions. But that was kind of like, even for him bringing it up, that was kind of a side note. Like it was definitely presented as like, find out the gender. And also if anything's wrong, you'll know that too. And so (laughs) we're like, yes, let's find out the gender. And kind of that was that. And the length of time that we were supposed to get our results back, we hadn't heard anything from the doctor. So I started calling and no one was taking my calls. And I just like told my husband, Scott, I'm like, I think something's wrong. Like something's going on. There's no reason why they wouldn't have called us. There's no reason they wouldn't be returning my messages. And so 
about a week after we were supposed to get the results, I finally got a call from my doctor's office and the nurse handed the phone to my doctor and he said, the test detected an extra chromosome. You're going to have to talk to a genetic counselor. I'll get you set up with an appointment. And that was basically it. Um, He didn't have any details about what this diagnosis could mean. He did not even actually tell me the gender. He forgot to do that um, Mm. because he was just telling me the the problems that came up on the test. So I was just kind of left. I went to my car and I like Googled like crazy to try and figure out what this meant. And then Scott came home and, you know, I told him and, and we Googled that night a ton just because we, we had no clue what this meant for Mm. our child or for our family. And um, that night we just prayed and we were just like, honestly, very, very sad. We were so shocked. We were very sad, but we felt really strongly like, you know what? God chose us to be her parents. Uh, We did find out we were having a girl. So Mm -hmm. God chose us uh, to be her parents um, before the foundation of the world. And he is going to equip us for you know, whatever challenges she may face. And so, so we were kind of holding that tension between like trusting that God was going to use it for good, but also being very sad because it felt like a really sad thing to sad news to hear. So, so how, how early was that test? That was at about 14 weeks. So it was pretty early. So you had many, many months preparing for this. Yeah. We had about six months of pregnancy where we were just expecting to have a child with a disability. And the test was not diagnostic. So it wasn't like a hundred percent, but we were told the test was like 99% accurate. So basically there was a slight chance it could be wrong, but for the most part, expect to have a child with this condition. And so our daughter Rosalie was born and we brought her home. The, the doctors had taken some blood at the hospital to test. And so about a week after she was born, we got a call and the nurse said, everything came back fine. Everything came back normal. And so we found out she didn't have the extra chromosome that we were told to expect. So we were just really like flabbergasted. (laughs) Like we couldn't believe it. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, expecting for six months to have a child with a disability and then for her to not have it felt so surreal, but we felt like, okay, I guess this hard thing that was supposed to happen isn't going to happen after all. Was there a lot of relief? Was there shame with that relief at all? We didn't feel any shame with the relief. We just felt so excited. We were like texting all of our family and friends who'd been praying because, you know, this whole time we'd been praying that she'd be born healthy. And, and so it was like our prayer had been answered. And we just honestly felt like in a way, like we dodged a bullet, like, oh, you know, this was going to be hard, but then now we don't have to worry about it anymore. And we kind of thought that was that. Yeah. And then did you have your, you have two daughters and Finn? Yes. Mm -hmm. So then did you have your second daughter next? Yeah. So we had Leone, she and Rosalie are 20 months apart. Okay. So you went on with that and everything was kind of like, okay, we're just building a family. How on earth did you then feel prompted to adopt Finn? And is that right? Is that what happened? Almost. It's uh, We actually felt prompted to adopt Finn before we were pregnant with Leonie. So Rosalie okay. was a couple uh, months old and I started feeling kind of this like tugging on my heart, I guess is how I would explain it. And just a sense of, you know, throughout those six months, Scott and I both felt like God had really softened our hearts, had changed our hearts. We were still feeling sad about our daughter being born with this condition. But we were feeling like God was preparing us to parent a child with special needs. And we really just felt like God's work in our lives. And so 
I kind of just got this feeling, you know, I'm, I'm parenting Rosalie and just love her to pieces, but also at the same time feeling like, didn't God like take all this time to prepare us to parent a child with special needs, but then that didn't happen. So was all that like preparation and all of that heart change for nothing or kind of like what was going on there? Like, mm-hmm. why, why did that even happen? It's just like this Abraham test or like what? Yeah, I know. I was just like, I, I don't, I just didn't understand. Cause I mean, both of us felt like so strongly, like we thought for sure she was going to be born with the extra chromosome because we felt so much that God was changing us through the process. And so then when she wasn't, we were relieved, but also just super surprised. And so, um, so when she was a few months old, I just remember thinking like, what if God did that and we're supposed to adopt a child with special needs? And it was not something that we ever wanted to do or talked about doing. We had talked about adopting, but never a child with a disability. Like that was not something honestly, that we ever wanted for our family. But I started feeling like, man, maybe that's what all this was for. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. And I remember one day I had this thought, like, I wonder if we could adopt a baby with Down syndrome um, because the the genetic condition our daughter, we were told she would be born with, it was more rare. So I didn't think that we could adopt a baby with that diagnosis, but it was a trisomy. And so Down syndrome is another trisomy. And so it was kind of similar. And so I was like, maybe we could do that. And so I just Googled it. And the first thing that popped up was the website for the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network. And so I clicked on it and it was just like in an instant, I knew like, oh, like this is it. This is what we're supposed to do. So I prayed about it and then talked to Scott about it. And he did not feel so suddenly and instantly as I did that that's what we were supposed to do. So he actually prayed about it and me as well. But, you know, I already felt like that was what we were called to. And so he was just asking God, like, is this what you'd have for our family for about two years? So in that two years of praying, we got pregnant with Leone, had Leone. And then when Leone was about six months old, Scott called me one day on his way to work and said, I feel like, yes, like I've I've been praying and I feel like we're supposed to do it. And so did that prompting leave your heart? Like in that time, did you, were you just trusting God? Like, I believe this is what you've told me and you're just praying for Scott during that time. Uh, What did that look? I mean, two years is it's short, but it's also long for us, our human minds. <laughs> yeah, it felt like forever, to be honest. And in that time, I'd say, yeah, my my desire to adopt a baby with Down syndrome only intensified. So I was kind of walking in this tension of, I feel so strongly God's called me to this or called us, our family to this. And I want to prepare if it does happen. But at the same time, if Scott's not on board, we're not doing this because that's not something you want to convince someone to do. Like mm-hmm. like adopting a child with a disability is a really, really big decision. And if that was a decision that Scott felt pressured into or like felt like he had to do it even though he didn't want to, I knew that would be a really bad negative situation. So I tried as best I could not to pressure him, but just to let him pray and kind of like seek it out on his own. And then at the same time, like as he's praying, we also did do some things together to kind of learn more about Down syndrome and to prepare as best we could. So like we volunteered with our local Down syndrome association and we got to like babysit babies with Down syndrome and that was like good, like hands-on experience. Yeah. And then we, um, we watched a TV show called born this way, which is like a reality show that follows, I think five adults with down syndrome and just like follows them as they move out of their parents' home or, you know, get a job or, you know, just kind of like 
normal life things. And so watching that was really helpful. So, so we kind of like prepared together and learned together, but at the same time, like I tried to give him space to really pray and, and seek God about it because I I really didn't want it to be coming from me. I wanted him to feel called from God on his own. And God had his own timing, right? Yes. And I mean, we wouldn't have had Leone if God hadn't had the timing that way. So I think it was definitely, and I feel like I learned so much just about patience and trusting God. Like, I think there was a lot of work that God was doing in my heart while Scott was praying, just teaching me to trust him and and to have patience. And so, yeah, his timing was good, but yeah, those two years did feel like frustrating and it was hard to be Mm -hmm. patient, but obviously I'm really glad the way it worked out. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what they're called, but do you know the little dolls that are like, they're wood usually, and then they have other ones inside of them that you take apart? Yeah. The Russian nesting dolls. Yes. Okay. So I, right now I'm just like seeing that picture of your story and I just feel like you have your testimony, right? What the thing that you share most often, but I just feel like there's testimony on testimony on testimony inside your story. And it's so cool. And you're just like, Oh, there's another one. Oh yeah. God had a lot of work to do on me. So I think that's why I, yeah. Yeah. I feel very much like a different person after everything he's done just, and it's, yeah, just all what he did. Yeah, he's working in, in both of you and all of us in our, his own timing in different ways, right? Yeah. So one thing I loved that you mentioned there was the show. And I think the interview I listened with you, you said this comment that I was blown away by where you're just like, there's a false sense of security if you have a child without a difference. Will you explain that for us? Unpack it a little? Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, as parents or at least I know I was this way. I'm kind of the perfectionist, overachiever type person. And so for me, it was like, I am going to be the best mom. I'm going to do this motherhood thing perfectly. Obviously that can't actually be done, but this is how I felt, you know, in my mind. And I'm going to have just the best kids. And, you know, these are all thoughts I had. And so my hope was really in having this like idealistic looking family and just having just kind of everything picture perfect. And I think a lot of people put their hope in having kind of that picture perfect family and, mm-hmm. and having healthy kids and kids who do well in school and, and all these things. But I think that obviously putting our hope in anything other than God is going to to let us down. Um, and I think that can happen when we are expecting a healthy pregnancy or having a healthy child just because no child's perfect. Like that's just the first thing is, is no child's perfect. But also just because you don't get a prenatal diagnosis doesn't mean that everything is going to go according to plan. Um, like we were talking about before, before we started recording, you know, there's some people who um, have a child with Down syndrome and there were no signs leading up to their birth. You know, mm-hmm. they have, they have the child and it's a total surprise. There's a lot of diagnoses that occur that the diagnosis doesn't happen until several months after a baby's born. So like, you know, often with cerebral palsy, I know that's the case where, you know, the baby's born and you kind of think that everything is typical. And then, you know, over time you start to see some signs that things aren't as you expected. And so, there's diagnoses like that. But then also a lot of people have accidents later in life where they lose certain abilities that they had before, or they get really sick or, you know, there's just like a million things that can happen. And so, and so putting our trust and having like, you know, you hear parents say it all the time when they're pregnant. Oh, we don't care if it's boy or girl, as long as it's healthy, you know, as long as the baby's healthy. And the thing is like, if you put your hope in that, 
it can really let you down. And really God can use babies who, and he does use babies who aren't healthy and kids who aren't able-bodied or or neurotypical. God uses all those people. And so I just think that as parents, we have to be careful in putting all of our hope in that idea of having a really healthy child because there's no guarantees. Yeah. And then that's talking about right after they're born and young. But also I love what you said about when they're adults, because I think this is another thing parents say all the time is like, well, I don't want my child to live with me for forever, you know, or like, let's be empty nesters. And you're like, you know what you can, which you see a lot, right? It's like perfectly able-bodied kids or like boomerang children, which I was, I lived with my parents for a year after I had graduated. But, you know, you see that. And then you see some kids who grew up into adults with Down syndrome who leave and have jobs, right? Yes, definitely. And honestly, when we were praying and like just navigating, you know, trying to make the decision, like, do we pursue Down syndrome adoption or not? That was one of our biggest hangups was, are we ever going to be empty nesters? Like, will this child live with us forever? And it did help to see in that show Born This Way, so many of these adults with Down syndrome were living out on their own, which I didn't even know, you know, was Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. So I think just seeing that was really amazing to me. But also, Scott and I talked a lot about like, there's really no guarantee. Like our kids who don't have Down syndrome, they could end up living with us again as they're older or they could live with us forever. Or, you know, there's just no guarantees that the empty nesting phase will ever come. And so I think to not adopt Finn because we wanted to hold on to hope that someday we'll have that season, it would have been a silly reason to not pursue that adoption because that season's not guaranteed to begin with. Right. Well, and I have to admit, totally honest, I've had that thought. We don't have kids yet. Um, Have you heard of Rainbow Children? Uh, I think so. It's an adoption agency for kids specifically with differences. Like international adoption. Yeah. Yeah. I found that anyway. I have have looked at that, but uh, yeah, I've had that thought of, well, you know, if I'm saying yes to this, I could be saying yes to a total loss of my independence, which is, you know, a big value probably idolized in my life, (laughs) you know, but it's like, that's kind of just a grass is greener concept, right? I mean, First off, you're not even guaranteed tomorrow. Like if COVID didn't show us that, right? Like, I mean, that's biblical, but really, even if that happens, is that the worst thing in the world that could happen? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm like playing this out of my mind. Like, let's follow this all the way through. Is that really the worst thing that you don't get an empty nest season? Right. I've joked with Scott. I've said, cause you know, he, that was really one of his big concerns. And I've joked with him now. I'm like, I bet Finn is going to try and move out someday. And you're going to be the one like, no, keep staying, you know, keep living with us, which I don't know yeah. if that'll happen ever. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think that sometimes we think like 30 years down the road when really we just have to look at what's right before us. And Because, you know, we just try to fill in the blanks of like all the things are going to happen over the next 20, 30 years. And really, we just have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. so, but I understand the the fear and that being a real hang up because, I mean, we experienced that. And that was a lot of what we talked about is, you know, what does this look like long term? And I do think those are actually important conversations to have. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that our hope really can ever be in this picture of, you know, your perfect life in your 60s. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, honestly, until I heard your interview, I don't know that I ever questioned that thought. I'm like, this is just the way it is. Like, it's just so ingrained. Right. I think maybe American culture is like that too. It's very much, it's not the collectivistic, you know, some Asian cultures and different things are like, 
you take care of your family. You take care of your parents. Like, there is no independent, okay, we kick you out, you're 18. A lot of cultures, kids live with their parents. You know, the family just lives in a house together, you know. So yes. it is it is different in the American culture for sure. And I, I'm sure that, that that plays into it. Yeah. Okay. I could go somewhere else, but I'm going to stay on track. Let's go into offense adoption. What did that actually look like? Yeah. So Leonie was about six months. It was December of 2018 when we felt like we got kind of the green light from God and we wanted to start the adoption process. So we applied for agencies, got teamed up with an agency in January and started our home study process. When we started our home study process, we kind of had this like realization of like, oh my goodness, we have a six month old or I guess a seven month, seven month old right now. We don't really want an infant right this minute. So like, mm-hmm. let's take our time. So when you do the home study, there's like so much paperwork that goes into it. Like every dollar that you've spent for the past year is accounted for. And, you know, just like, I can't even explain just like anything you can possibly think of that an agency might consider checking into, they do, they check into, and you just have to have paperwork for everything. And so some people plow through the paperwork and just get it done super quick. And we were like, you know what, we're going to take our time with this because we want to wait a little bit longer for Leonie to get a little older. So Mm -hmm. we took a couple months, did all the paperwork, and then we did our home study, which included the paperwork was part of it, but you know, we had like a social worker coming into our home and just making sure everything was safe, interviewing me and Scott and the girls as much as they could. So we got our home study approved, I want to say in June. And then in July, like towards the end of July, we became quote unquote, an active family, which meant that if there was a situation where a family was considering adoption, our family could be presented as an option if they decided to choose another family to parent their child. And so didn't hear anything for about six weeks. And then all at once we had like six calls of families who were hoping to make an adoption plan for their child with Down syndrome. And so we had to decide if we were going to say yes or no for each of those situations. And ultimately we just decided to say yes to each of them to be presented uh, because we just felt like, you know, God's in control of this anyway. And so he's going to, you know, we just believe that God already had a baby who he had planned to be part of our family. And so a couple of weeks later, Later, we got a call, probably not a couple weeks, maybe like a week and a half later, we got a call that a family had chosen us to parent their child. Is it normally that fast? No. So it was pretty quick for us to get matched. I want to say took about two months total and we were told to expect closer to a year. So it was, it was pretty quick, but with adoption, I mean, it's all over the place. So we have friends who they became an active family, not with the national down syndrome adoption network, but with a a different agency. And like that afternoon, they were matched with a baby who had already been born. And like the next day they drove him at the baby. So like it can happen that same day. And at the same time, we know people who've been waiting years to be matched with Mm -hmm. a baby. So there's just like with, as with everything else in life, I guess with adoption, there's just no, there's no guarantees and you just really have no clue going into it. What's going to happen. So for us, it was about two months until we were matched. And then it was about another month until Finn was born. He was born a few States away. So we went and met him the day after he was born and he had about three weeks in the NICU. And so we were living in a different state, far from home and got to stay in the Ronald McDonald house, which was really nice. And then Finn was finally strong enough to come home. And so we drove about six hours with him. It took much longer than that, but you Mm -hmm. know, the total trip was supposed to be six hours back home. And yeah, I just had this teeny tiny 
baby. He was in the NICU, right? Yeah. So he was in the NICU for three weeks. And when we brought him home, he was just four pounds and he had a feeding tube and just was, I mean, it felt really scary to bring him home because he was really, really tiny. We were just entering cold season and flu season. And so it felt really scary, but we were excited to be home. So I am learning more about the different things that Amanda taught me that there are at least three different kinds of Down syndrome, but that also many times those children can be born with like holes in their heart or different things. And so did you know that he was probably going to be born with some of these other things, the feeding tube and stuff like that? Um, so the feeding tube, uh, not born with the feeding tube. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, I know what you mean. The feeding tube, it's kind of like hit or miss with down syndrome. Like I feel like probably half the kids go home with one and half of them don't. I made up that statistic, but just like on Instagram, like following lots of different babies with Down syndrome. I mean, it's really common for babies to have a feeding tube at the start, but not all of them do. As far as Finn, actually, there was a lot of things we were told about him to expect when from like his ultrasounds and stuff that didn't end up happening. So we were told he might be born without a stomach and that didn't end up happening. And we were told he might be born with, or he, they, they didn't say might, like he liked would be born with like a malformed brain. I didn't really understand like what exactly was possibly wrong with his brain, but it had something to do with like the back part of his brain was supposed to be not formed correctly, but that ended up not being true. And then he was supposed to have a tethered spine, which would require surgery. And um, he has like uh, his spine, it's fine. Like his spinal cord attaches a little bit lower than most people's, but it it's not tethered and it doesn't impact his function. So, so actually with him, it's like we were told to expect a lot of really kind of scary things and they didn't end up happening. He has two minor heart defects, but neither of them impact the function of his heart. And so he doesn't even need to see the cardiologist anymore. But with Finn, like he, if you look at like his, uh, the hospital app, he technically has like 24 different diagnoses. And so he had a lot of stuff that we found out after birth, nothing like too, too major, but like he has sleep apnea and he has uh, hypothyroidism and he has like reflux and just a whole, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch. he has hydrocephalus. But overall, I mean, despite having such a long list of diagnoses, he actually is doing so, so well and yeah, has just really surprised us. So does any of that ever scare you? I know fear can be a a part for any parent. I mean, looking at that list, because I'm sure you love him to death, right? Does the enemy ever try to use that fear? Yeah. You know, I do think it's a little bit different having gone into parenting Finn as a choice and knowing kind of what what was going to be involved for the most part. I think if I had had a baby and not just naturally had a baby and not have been expecting for there to be any sort of complications to then have some of those complications, I feel like would be really scary and discouraging to me. But I think because we went into this adoption knowing like Finn has a chance of having you know, there's a lot of different things that can come along with Down syndrome. So we kind of went into it expecting we might have a kid who needs heart surgery, might have a kid. There's a whole bunch of things. And so I don't feel like any of it does scare me, but he did have two really 
well, I'll say one really scary hospital stay shortly after he was born um, when he was about five weeks old where he had to be intubated and that was very scary. And then he had a second long hospital stay for breathing issues as well. He didn't have to be intubated and that one wasn't scary, but it was hard. And so I think with Finn, our big fears are that he'll have to he'll have to have another long hospital stay. But beyond that, like the the stuff he has going on, like he has a feeding tube, but it's fine. It's just like part of everyday life. He has a hearing aid, but it's fine. It's just like part of, it's just part of life with Finn. And so, yeah, he doesn't, now there are, obviously there are certain diagnoses that are life-threatening and he doesn't have any of those. So it might, I would probably feel differently depending on what the diagnosis was. Yeah. What does your prayer life look like over your children? Um, that's a good question. I, uh, for us, I mean, like, I feel like we pray a lot throughout the day just as like situations come up and then just praying over them before they go to bed is is the main thing. And we kind of pray similar things for Rosalie and Leone and Finn, which I don't know if that would surprise people or not. But, you know, for Finn, we do pray for his health. But just like with the girls, kind of the biggest things we're praying for is that he would know and love and follow God all of his life. So, yeah, it's maybe not as different between the kids as people might think. But, yeah, those are kind of the two main ways I'd say we pray for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good for people to hear. What are some of your greatest joys in having had the opportunity to parent a child with differences? I think for me, like in our uh, little circle of the world, we use the word inch stones. I don't know if you've heard that before, but instead of milestones. Uh, instead of milestones. So, no, that's you know, awesome. yeah, with like most babies, you talk about the milestones, like they're walking for the first time or they're crawling or they're talking, but having a child with special needs, it's a lot more work for him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't walk yet. So it's a lot of work. He works so, so hard to get to the point where he's able to crawl, able to sit up, like so much there goes into it. So much practice goes into it. And so instead of just celebrating these big milestones, which are usually pretty spread out, we celebrate like what we call inch stones. And so things that I feel like I didn't even notice with my girls that they were able to do and definitely didn't celebrate them at all because they just seemed so expected. With Finn, we're able to celebrate just really the little tiny small wins. And so that brings a lot of joy because it feels like there's always little celebrations with him. And it's, it's helpful for for me, because I mentioned before, like, I'm definitely like the overachiever type person. And so I'm always really like, go, 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 go. But he really forces us to slow down in a good way and just like appreciate him right where he's at. And so I think that's been really good for me. What have you seen between his two sisters and him? Because I think some people too, one of their concerns is, well, I don't want to adopt a kid with a disability because that would be so hard on my other kids. What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it goes back to what is our hope in because I hear people sometimes say that, like, I don't want to adopt a child with a disability because it would impact my other kids. But if you choose to conceive a child naturally, there's a chance that you could have a child with a disability as well, and that would impact your kids too. And so it kind of goes back to that whole there's no guarantee thing, but I will say the girls are so obsessed with Finn. It is like ridiculous. Like He's pretty they, adorable. Yeah, he is adorable, but they love him so much. Like they are always talking baby talk to him and like pinching his cheeks and kissing him. And Rosalie recently has started like feeling confident carrying him. And so she picks him up and, you know, walks all around the house with them and 
I mean, they are just so obsessed with him and he and he with them as well. And so they're definitely not like suffering from having Finn as a brother. That is for sure. But I will say when he had really long hospital stays, that was really hard on them. And and so there are hard things, you know, but I think that just overall the good far, far, far outweighs the hard. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw you a a hardball. Are you ready? Okay, yeah. (laughs) So thinking about your three kids, I would say they are all image bearers. So full circle, back to the book. So if we are all image bearers, regardless of our difference, we are made in the image of God and God is perfect. Why are kids born with things that make their life harder? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't feel like I know an answer, to be honest. You know, I've thought a lot about it since we've been on this journey the past five years as to why people are born with disabilities or things that make life hard. And I don't feel like there's a very obvious answer. But I will say, if you look to scripture, in I think Exodus, God's talking to Moses and he says, Who made the blind? Who made the mute? And so it's very obvious that God made people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And then later in the gospels, I want to say Jesus was healing a blind man and the Mm -hmm. Pharisees were like, who sinned that this man was born blind? And, and Jesus was like, well, he didn't sin and his parents didn't sin. He was born this way so that the glory of God would be shown in his life. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's hard because the answer is I don't totally understand why, but I do know that kids with disabilities were made, you know, with purpose and intention. Mm -hmm. And I like to say they were made just as masterfully as kids without Mm -hmm. disabilities. So it's not like God accidentally made a mistake when he was forming them in the womb, or it's not like God just got sloppy with them, but they were made just as fearfully, wonderfully, masterfully, and purposefully. And God has plans for their lives, just like he has plans for the lives of non-disabled children. But the why, I mean, it's a hard why. And it goes back to the question of like, why is there suffering in the world? And And it's just, it's just a big question, but I think everyone suffers in different ways. There's all different types of suffering and all different types of hardship. And I don't know the side of heaven if we'll ever have a full picture yeah. of the why, but we can just hold on to the hope that God does have plans and purposes for every single person and that he's going to restore all things in the end. Amen. I ask that partially because I think it's just good to model a conversation like, hey, you can ask this question. And it's also okay if, well, to be honest, I don't think there probably is, like you said, an answer on this side of heaven. And the more people I talk to, the more I'm in this ministry, I'm like, you look at Job. After all of that, God never told him why. He never told him why. We know why because of that omniscient point of view that we're given. But he doesn't even get told, oh, yeah, by the way, there is a wager with Satan and this was a test. Like, that, we, we don't even know So thank you for being honest in that, because I think there is redemption in all of that. And we are all made so well, but it doesn't always make sense in the way our human minds can see it. Yeah. And like Finn, he has disability. He has a lot of diagnoses, but he is not suffering. Like he's not in pain. He's a really happy kid. So when I think about him, it doesn't feel as hard to wonder like why God made him that way. But I'm sure if you do have a child who is in a lot of pain, that might make that question feel harder. And I really empathize with that because I do think that is a very hard question and it can be really hard to see suffering and to 
to wonder like how God could do that. So I think it's like where faith comes in and it's not easy. No, for sure. What would you say to someone, whether it's a child, maybe it's an adult who's gone through their whole life thinking that they are a mistake, that the way they were made is a mistake? Yeah, well, I mean, I would just point them to scripture because I think time after time, the Bible really points out that God created us with purpose and intention and he He did it wonderfully. And so there's so many verses going through my mind right now, but you know, I'll talk about it in the context of the church, just because I feel like this is what God has been teaching me maybe more than anything else over the past five years is I used to think my role was to just serve and help people who had disabilities. Like, oh, I'm going to go help them, you know, Mm -hmm. and I felt like a good person, like, oh, I'm going to go help them. I'm going to be so nice and kind and da, 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 da. And didn't think that these people who had disabilities really were going to offer me anything in return. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think the opposite is actually true. And if we look at 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how those who we would see as weaker in the body of Christ are actually indispensable is the word that it uses. Mm -hmm. And so actually, you know, even if there's a child or an adult who has never spoken a word in their life, when I and with them, they are ministering to me, you know, and Mm -hmm. I am learning from them. And that's who God calls indispensable. It's not like me who feels like, like, oh, I'm going to lead this ministry and that ministry. It's those who we would consider weaker. And so I think like looking at God's kingdom, his kingdom is so the opposite of what our natural human inclination Mm -hmm. would, would come up with. You know, he uses the people we would least expect. He uses the people who often seem the least qualified. And so I would just tell someone like, no matter what you can or can't do, you know, no matter what, how God made you or, you know, what your life is like, God has plans and purposes for you. And no matter who you are, he can use you. And like, just thinking back to the verse that says like his power shines brightest or his power is made perfect in weakness. You know what I mean? Like thinking that we can somehow do more for God's kingdom because our talents are more obvious is just Mm -hmm. like so backwards because, you know, the Bible says apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so whoever you are, it's Jesus working in you. So you don't really have to worry about you as a person because it's him. And so I don't know. I feel like I got away from the question. No, that's so good. And I'm just sitting here thinking that it's like we are indoctrinated with what the world tells us, that that a, a difference is a mistake. And yet actually just like based on what you're saying, it's like you belong in the kingdom of God more than you belong anywhere on earth. Like you actually aren't even made for earth. None of us are. But like you belong there. You belong in this kingdom and you're needed. Which circling back to like the first part of our conversation about disability in the church, it's like, it's not just people with disabilities who are missing out when we don't make space for them in our Mm -hmm. churches, but it's actually the church. Like that passage talks about you need every single part of the body working together. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have people with disabilities or differences in our congregations, the body is not whole. Like that's like a Mm -hmm. part of the body that is totally missing. And, um, and I think we've convinced ourselves that, oh, that part's not as important or, oh, that we don't really need that part when actually looking at scripture, those are the exact people who we need. So, yeah, I was talking to someone today and I was like, 
we are limping. The body of Christ is limping because we're missing all the chronic pain warriors at home. Like we need them praying for us. It's at, uh, hopefully by the time this is published, because we're recording way early, we are making a, a quiz. We might rename it, but it's like kingdom warrior quiz for um, our website where people can just go and say like, no, you're so really needed in this kingdom, even though the world has told you that you're not. So like, here's a way to equip you of like, these are some ways that we really need you and you get to take a fun little oh that's fun yeah i totally agree it's just it's so needed and i i think the picture of like the church limping is a good one because you know it goes along with that passage yeah absolutely these are some great ending notes thank you for taking all the hardballs i'll give you one that is totally up to however you want to hit it so what are is it there anything that you want to share that we did not get to I don't think so. I think we covered most things. I think I will say this, like going back to my book, which is about, you know, kids with disabilities. I think before I had a child with a disability, my inclination was to think like, oh, I don't need to read those kind of books. Those are for, those are for families who have a kid with a disability. And I do think it's important for kids to get to, to see themselves in a book. So like, yeah, like a child who uses a wheelchair, of course, we want them to have a book where the main character is using a wheelchair. But I would just say, don't shy away from reading those books and having those conversations with your kids, even if you don't know anybody who has a disability, because just kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, like that moment is going to come and you just want them, want them to be prepared. So, so I would just say like, you know, those conversations are for families who have kids with disabilities and who have kids who don't have kids with disabilities. Yeah. So where can people get your book? And then Finn has his own Instagram account, right? Oh, yes, right? he does. <laughs> How can people connect and get the book and all that? Yeah. So um, I share about Finn on Instagram at Mr. Finn Credible. So it's Mr. Dot. F-I-N-N, credible. So that's his name. And then for the book, you can order it at imagebearerbook.com. And then if you're curious about following us on social media, we have a Facebook page and then it's imagebearerbook on Instagram. And and I try to share a lot of advice for parents about how to have these conversations with their kids and like how to raise inclusive kids. And, and also just a lot of information kind of connecting this conversation about disability and inclusion back to the Bibles. So yeah, you can follow me there and those are the main places. Yeah, I love it. Ellie, I'm so grateful. Thank you for not just coming on today, but thank you for what you're doing and you are making a difference. I don't know if it ever feels hard, but I just want to tell you like, thank you so much for what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a good, this, these types of conversations get me so excited. Incredible, right? Or maybe I should say Finn credible. I really did just think of that, I promise, as I sat down to hit record. But you can follow Ellie and Finn at at Mr. Fincredible. That's why it was in my mind. Or there is an Instagram for the Image Bearer book as well, at Image Bearer book. So please go follow them and may we all live our lives surrendered to what God wants and what God wants to do and how he wants to use us like Ellie and her family has. Thanks so much to Ellie for being on the show and we will see you guys next week with an interview with Jessica Carey. Have a great week.